Hello everyone and welcome back to the Footy A to Z podcast. This is episode two, so I'm allowed to say welcome back uh, this time around. Today, Zach and I are going to be talking about the St Kilda GWS game, uh, go through that match, which happened back on last Friday now. We've had a little bit of COVID drama over the last weekend or so, um, which isn't really worth talking about, but it's kind of delayed production and it's also why we're doing this online looking at each other through computer screens today rather in the same room. But the plan is next weekend, it'll all be back to normal. Uh, if you watch the first one on YouTube, we'll be we'll be sitting back next to each other again. Uh, but before we launch into St Kilda GWS, a quick recap of the weekend of footy that was, I guess. Zach, did you watch any other footy? Anything interesting stand out to you from over the weekend? I reckon I just about watched the most footy I have across the round all year. Um yeah, so of, of course we watched the St Kilda GWS match on Friday night, but um, I think I caught, yeah, just a, a bunch here and there, a couple of full games, um, including mo- most of Fremantle and Carlton, uh, which was a good one, most of Hawthorne and the Swans, which was interesting for a while uh, until it wasn't, and Sydney were just a bit too strong. Um, yeah, so kind of got to, to really take in uh, just how well Sydney and Frio are, are traveling at this point, uh, as well as the, the Anzac special um, on both Sunday night and uh, Monday afternoon it was this year. So, yeah, just pretty good round of footy, uh, pretty competitive, and, um, yeah, enjoyed enjoyed what there was to watch. What, what did you make of Fremantle? Um, I didn't catch any of that game, but obviously sitting second on the ladder at the moment and, and looking quite impressive in the early stages of the season. Did you like what you saw? Yeah, just a well-put-together team. Uh, like the, the defence was solid. Alex Pierce playing just makes a world of difference. You know, Liam Ryan is no longer one of the, the tall defenders now per se. He can kind of just do whatever the team needs him to. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of just all gelling and there's there's not as heavy a reliance on kind of one or two people as there, there was in the past. And then Brayshaw is just brilliant. He's mm-hmm. just like, he's just a fantastic player. Uh, David Mundy back in, uh, just doing David Mundy things. Um, and yeah, just uh, pretty even across the board. Although Tavenar wasn't um, super impactful on the game, uh, someone like, like Schiltz and uh, even Walters had probably one of his better games in a while as well. Small forwards seem to be a bit of a theme this year. And even Fife, of course, still to come back into that team. Uh, the next yeah, exactly. Weeks is a scary prospect. They're only going to get better. Yeah, um, I just sent sent you a, a quote uh, just before this um, that I, I saw on Insta from 7AFL, I think, David Mundy saying that uh, Fife's not the whole cake anymore, as he, as he has been for years and years, but... Now they're looking at just uh, five becoming the sprinkles, which um, I think was was captioned as scary, which uh, which it, <laughs> it is. Which it is. <laughs> um, well, it'll be good to see how the Dockers go as they they play some some more quality teams over the next few weeks, and yeah, obviously got past that first challenge in Carlton, another another team in the top eight this week. Um, speaking of teams at the top end of the ladder, my main footy experience this week, uh, outside of the the Saints Giants game, was. Very frustrating Sunday night uh, spent at the MCG watching the Melbourne Richmond game, uh, and geez, the D's just look kind of scary. I mean, they they should have won that game by ten or fifteen goals, really. Obliterated the Tigers and, and couldn't kick straight. Uh, and their defensive yeah. setup around the ball was, oh, sorry, behind the ball, I should say, was was just nuts. Like Richmond couldn't find a way through. It felt like we're just trapped. 
uh, in defensive 50 for pretty much the entire game. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll just, I'm not sure whether we're allowed to or not, so maybe we'll just flash the heat map on, up on the screen for, for watchers for just a fraction of a second so they can pause it if they want. Um, but it's Richmond is trapped. It's a ridiculous trapped. heat map. Yeah. They're just trapped and you can pinpoint the exact moment Richmond lose the ball and Melbourne get it back and then where Melbourne just spread into immediately after, uh, whereas Richmond are just so condensed and... um. That's just because of the zonal pressure of Melbourne constantly pushing them to one part of the ground, allowing the first couple of kicks and then really just honing in, forcing the kick down the line and just being far too good uh, in defence to um, allow Richmond to get any further than half forward. Yeah, so D's looking pretty good once again. Tigers looking a bit average. Um, hopefully Dusty to come back in a couple of weeks' time and, and work something out there, but yeah, it could be possibly the end of the line, I think, for that that Tiger train that's been going so nicely over the last few years. Um, this is, of course, our second podcast and we're, we're getting better at figuring things out. But I believe by the time this goes up, Zach, you'll be able to listen to this in most of the places that you listen to your other podcasts. Yeah, I, I can say with 100% certainty that uh, you can well and truly look us up on Spotify and uh, we are working on the wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, it so should a... be up. Should be up absolutely uh, for next episode. But um, otherwise, if you, if you search us and we're not there, it's a work in progress. Um, just you know, linking accounts and whatnot, and uh, sorting out the loose ends. But um, Spotify is probably your best bet if you just want to listen on the train or something like that. Yeah, so so Apple's probably the main one we're working on at the moment. There's a few other random podcasty places where it's there and a few where it's not. Um, but basically, if you listen to your podcast somewhere and you can't find it, just by searching footy A2Z, let us know and we'll work on hopefully getting it up there sometime soon. All right. Do we have time for a very quick update of the Patreon tipping competition before we swing into our match of the week? Yeah, it's staying tight at the top. So we got um, Charles has jumped into the lead, I think, this time last week. Uh, we, were, we were hailing north as the leader, so he slid to equal fourth with us uh, who are claiming third at the moment and then Alex is uh, in second so yeah Charles and Alex fighting it out and Charles has actually uh, self-admitted that he's he's surprised he's up there and he's self-confessed he's, <laughs> he's not paying the closest attention that he could be this year well sometimes those um, are the best tiffers and sometimes they are so yeah it's a I'm gonna absolutely not be surprised at all if he just keeps on um fluking his way through because that's just how it goes sometimes and to be honest, it makes it more entertaining. All right. Well, good luck to all of those people at the top. And, and it is still re really tight. So uh, highly likely that those leaders will continue to change as we go over the next few weeks. All right. Should we launch into our game of football that we want to talk a little bit more about? Yeah. So this week it was Greater Western Sydney uh, playing in, in Canberra, hosting in Canberra. Uh, 8 12 60 were defeated by. The Marching Saints uh, on 10 17 77. Uh, the game was, um, yeah, marketed really as, as the return of Toby Green and the build up. Yeah, the, re the return of Toby Green, the return of Footy to Canberra, which was nice to see as well. Playing at um, the honey pot. Yeah, there's a, a huge black contraption that they built behind one of the goals, um, which I swear I didn't 
didn't see last time. I don't know when the last time I watched footy in Canberra was, but they seem to have built like a whole. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like a big black block of even took any stuff behind one of the goals, and I was like, that wasn't there last time. Um, so that you know, a new addition. The um, the Tom Green fan club marquee, another nice new addition. I was going to say that's one thing I did notice, and it was um, hard not to notice it with the commentators pointing it out any time <laughs> it was in shot or any time Tom Green happened to touch the footy, which was a couple of times. Um, probably a more impactful game than, than Toby Green, I would say. For yeah, Tom the Betty Green. Green on Green Watch. <laughs> he takes takes out the, the, the coveted Green medal for his performance. Yeah. I see you've put a little note here into, into the run sheet that Max King was the difference. Bit well, of a, almost, a cheeky one there. Yeah, it was almost going to work out quite nicely. And then the Saints kicked another goal at the end um, to put it slightly beyond the 13 points. One goal seven, of course, uh, that, that Max King contributed. Um, an interesting performance from him and, and one I think we'll talk about a little bit more later on. Um, so, yeah, written, written here, Jack, that kind of jokingly Max King was the difference. Uh, and Jack Higgins was actually the difference. A very impressive game from him. Um, and kind of killed me a little bit to watch it as someone that the Tigers let go. Yeah, bring 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 the snags back to Tiger Land, if you will. Uh, but yeah, just Max King probably not alone. Lots of missed chances all night. I think Toby Green had a couple that he'd normally snaffle up. Jack Higgins, of course, with an absolute shocking miss early early in the game. But of course, he he went on to make amends and, and um, yeah, it, it just felt like a game that. You know, 60 to 77 could have easily been a, a much higher kind of shootout had the teams been a bit more clinical in front of goals. Matt Flynn with a, a handball off to Harry Himmelberg late in the match as well, a chance to really close that margin. Uh, and Himmelberg spraying it wide. Uh, probably another one that, that the Giants would like the chance to take again, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't, it wasn't a, a win that, although they, they did it somewhat comfortably despite a... Uh, a late GWS surge that made it look more comfortable or made it look less comfortable than it was. But the Saints really pushed out a, a fairly solid, gritty win uh, despite a couple of big injuries. Yeah, so Hayes going down early um, and Marshall hobbling throughout the game as well, um, which we will talk a little bit more about later. But yeah, managed to push through those gritty injuries, get a win. Josh battled, battled hard in the ruck um, throughout parts of that last quarter for them. Um, and just kind of managed to will it over the line and, and get themselves over the line, I think, just by able to, being able to take some more of those chances than the Giants were. Um, they looked good around the ground too. G Jack Steele's having a good season. Um, we know North just slipped out of contention for his Jack Steele video, but we might end up having to make it anyway. Uh, the way he's looking at the moment, just 29 disposals, uh, seven inside 50s, I believe it was as well. Just looked really classy all around the ground. Yeah, definitely. And up, right up there with Gresham as well, who just seems to be complementing Steele really well too. Steele maybe does a little bit more of the nitty gritty, really plays that captain's role, bit of a, a team orientated approach. Whereas someone like Gresham just coming into the midfield, uh, I know he's been in and out of the side a bit the last 18 months with the injury, but um, just looks good in the middle of the ground after someone who looked like he might just kind of be pigeonholed as a small forward. Really slick, good with good with the footy and um, loves a goal as well. Definitely. And I think some some clean, slick skills from Gresham late in the last quarter uh, really helped to seal the game for St Kilda. So good 
yeah, especially where they're getting that recognition. Yeah, so the where the Saints probably were were going wrong in the first quarter was really their disposal. They were just giving the ball back to the Giants pretty freely. I think the same probably happened when they played Richmond too. They just look like a completely different team in the second half once they kind of work their way in, have a little bit more confidence on the ball and, yeah, kind of just bring that composure back as the game goes on uh, to start hitting targets and, um, yeah, players with, with good disposal like Gresham and, you know, maybe your Bradley Hills and whatnot getting the ball in their hands as well as the next person we're going to mention, Jack Sinclair, really makes a world of difference. Yeah, so Sinclair, 25 disposals at 88% efficiency. Um, but G just makes the Saints look good when he gets the ball. As soon as he's anywhere in the vicinity of the ball and the Saints win possession, he just goes. He just takes off and he runs and that long hair flaps behind him majestically. And he just looks you know, full of dash and daring and run and, and just like he's about to make something happen as soon as the ball's in his vicinity. Yeah, I think you would have had a couple of Saints fans scratching their head last year watching how well Hind was going at the Bombers, going, this is just the exact kind of thing we need, someone bursting off half-back, breaking lines. I know Hind's not in fabulous form at the moment, but Sinclair's really just kind of filled that void this year uh, and, yeah, doing it doing it much better on current form. So, yeah, a massive tick there to him and he's getting better every week and right up there in, in the champion data rank rankings if that's something that you care about um and maybe interesting to contrast to uh some of the the giants work off halfback which we'll we'll come back to and talk a little bit more about later as well um the other thing that i think and it kind of definitely ties in well with that whole you know steel gresham sinclair getting involved in that transition forward um was that the saints look best when they were able to put the ball to max king's advantage moving forward as well you know, when, when the ball carrier managed to find some time and some space and and rather than putting it on King's head, they'd kick it, you know, 10, 15 metres away from him. And as soon as he gets a chance to run and jump and stretch those arms up into the air, then it's almost impossible for defenders to stop him. Yeah, and it's I think it's, it's so easy for teams to fall into the trap of when you have a, a forward who's a really great contested mark like Max King is, you just go, oh, well, it doesn't matter how we give it to him, he's going to mark it anyway. Like if you have someone who's naturally a good mark and you start giving them good delivery as well, the stars start to align and yeah, it, it looks good on a lead up. Um, you know, we've seen how good Ben King can be for the Suns at ground level. I know they're twins, but they're different players. Um, if they can kind of just put that little bit of emphasis, not quite have the same pressure to to clunk absolutely everything that comes his way and um, put him out in space, then yeah, he's just going to get more chances that he can hopefully um, convert as he, as he goes on. Yeah. And I know, I know people like to, you know, joke and, and make a bit of fun about, um, you know, the one goal seven and whatever, but it's not really that much to sit back and, and analyze. I think from our perspective about it, it's more just, you know, he's getting those chances and hopefully eventually he'll, he'll figure out a way to kick them um, and it'll, it'll slide in together. But in terms of getting the ball to him and that kind of tactical side of things, I think the Saints really nailed it. Yeah, and, you know, he's been up and down with his goal kicking. He'll get it right eventually. He knows that it's wrong. He doesn't need anyone else to tell him that he, he shouldn't be kicking one goal seven. But, mm. yeah, I back him to fix it. 
maybe you can ask Jack Higgins, another one who, who's had famously had some goal kicking inaccuracies and issues over the past 12 months and just managed to fall on the right side of the ledger after a couple of horrible misses early, managed to finish out with four goals, three, and, and possibly looked, you know, the best player on the ground, maybe up there with, with Steele and Cali, but you know, four goals, almost 20 touches. Um, Higgins was, was super impressive and, and just really dynamic. He's just always in it. Like as soon as he sniffs a turnover, he's just off. Like just the, probably the trust in his team to win the ball back is, is maybe one thing that's, that's trust in the system. And his role has been, you know, he's got to just be ready to attack probably a little bit before he probably, you know, technically should be. Um, and he just finds himself in space, mm-hmm. finds himself at the crumb of the footy. You know, people say, yeah, he's only kicking goals from the goal square, but um, at the end of the day, it uh, doesn't doesn't say where you get, get him in the, in the scorebook. So, yeah, and I, I think kind of what you're saying with you know Higgins being able to turn and go, and that being his role in the system, that really you know relies on the players behind the ball being aware of that as well. You know, if they know that the players like Higgins are, are going to and, and I think Gresham does it a little bit too as well, just kind of bolts forward and looks to capitalise on those opportunities. It means your your wings and your halfbacks have to be willing to, at times, maybe sacrifice their game to then cover that from a defensive perspective as well, um, which looks like it worked quite well for the Saints, especially in the second half. They were able to both get their transition working really well, but also stop the Giants from being able to transition and move the ball well on their own end. Yeah, brilliant. Anyways, that's um probably probably enough about St Kilda, kind of a centric conversation. The Giants, the losing side, started well, but um, and one thing about that start that was was quite surprising, then quite capitalised, had a few chances early, was Connor Iden playing in the forward line. Yeah, interesting to see him up there. Um, obviously, you know, some notable matches down back. Um, I think the the commentators were just going on about him having signed a new contract um, in, in the week as well, looking like he was going to perhaps. Um, so the Giants, you know, possibly just looking to to experiment um, a bit more with him. And, and obviously, I think I've really struggled with a big Jeremy Cameron-sized hole that was made slightly bigger into a double Jeremy Cameron Finlayson-sized hole um, in the last offseason. Um, to, to try and generate, I guess, some scoring options. Um, I think they, they even started with Toby Green in the centre at the first centre bounce, and then he pushed forward a little bit later. So possibly Iden going forward to try and allow Green maybe to work up the ground a bit more as well. Yeah, absolutely. But just in a game where someone like Jack Higgins plays so well and you're looking at you know the kinds of players who might be able to just stick on a dangerous small forward and probably just hound him a little bit, you know, in the ways that you've seen like a, a Dylan Grimes just go to a Charlie Cameron and um, just kind of like nullify his impact. Mm. Yeah, just kind of kind of surprised that um, this was the game they chose to do it. But um, yeah, it could have some long-term reward. So yeah, just a, one to watch there and um, see, see how he goes in the future and whether it's something the Giants stick with or not. So, so Bobby Hill um, up there as well had a fairly quiet night with just one goal and, and six possessions. So, yeah, maybe trying to, to look for a plan B and another option when that, that small forward dynamic is not working as well. Um, I know we touched on him earlier with his marquee as well, but but Tom Green led all comers with nine clearances uh, and looked 
probably the Giants' most impressive player around the ball. What, what did you make of his game and the game, I guess, of the rest of the Giants' midfielders? Yeah, the talk of the ground, I guess, Tommy Green. Um, he's just so good in the contest. And um, you've, you probably look at that classic GWS mid and you know the, some of the players who are still there and some of the players are left. And you think of your Josh Kellys, your Adam Trelaws, your Dylan Shields, great line-breaking outside runners who... You know, it's that orange Ferrari kind of look. And Tom Green's a different player to that. So, yeah, he's probably more fitting into that Callum Ward mold, but just probably a little bit more even in and under than him. Um, And he's just bringing something to the Giants' midfield that they desperately need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well, Kelly's still obviously really good on the outside, um, leading possession getter on the ground in the end and and leading metres gained, so 30 possessions over 600 metres gained for Cali. And I think those two as a combination is a great kind of one-two punch if you can have Green winning it and Cali distributing it. Um, and then some of the, the plays where the Giants looked the best, I think, was was when they were able to get the ball into Cali's hands off half-back and he was able to run and use that kicking to transition into the forward line. I think a few long long uh, kicks that, that found Green and Himmelberg to, to break that St Kilda defence and really open up the game a bit more. Yeah, and uh, Toby Green as well, once he kind of gets up and running. Interesting to see what kind of mid-forward balance he kind of plays. It's it's always a bit of a drama with players like him and Bont and Dusty and even Haney now, uh, where they're going to spend most of their time. Do you think he needs to be playing in the midfield, helping Tom Green out a little bit? Um, look, I think the the answer is that if he doesn't have to, he shouldn't. Um, in an ideal scenario, I think Toby Green does his best work. I mean, similar, we talked about Dugowie last week as well. If he's able to go into the midfield and, and provide, you know, a spark when he needs to, then that's great. But he's probably most dangerous in doing his best work for you inside 50, um, where he is often just capable of producing something out of nothing um, around the goals. So if you can leave him forward, I would. But then that, that obviously relies on things working well um, around the ball for the Giants, which they didn't necessarily not work in this game. I mean, they they slightly won the clearances um, and, and the contested possessions as well, I think. So the Giants midfield did a, a decent job, I think, on the inside, and it was a bit more in that transition play around the ground, moving the ball that they fell down a bit. Um, yeah, and I, I guess at the end of the day, he's just a match winner, and you, you need your match winners kicking goals. So. Yeah. Yeah, agree with you there. Himmelberg battling it out. Uh, just, yeah, seems like he's, I don't know, maybe lacking a bit of support, just getting more attention than he probably should from, from the defence. And, yeah, tried to will his way through a couple, but just not always quite coming off for him. Yeah, and I think it was was Josh Battle got in with a, a brilliant rundown tackle um, in, the, in the third quarter as well. He obviously tried to take that handball from Matt Flynn and snap around the corner. Um, in the last quarter and, and sprayed it abysmally. So he tried, he got himself in, I think he got himself in good positions um, and dangerous spots and just wasn't able to capitalise a lot of the time. But yeah, he's that kind of forward where, you know, if, if someone like Cameron's in the side and is able to take defenders away from him, then he becomes really dangerous as that second forward. Um, and Matt Flynn obviously, you know, went forward at times and, and actually looked pretty good when he was in the forward line for the Giants. But when Himmelberg was a bit more isolated, um, possibly didn't offer the same 
dynamism as a target. Yeah, and I, on that uh, Flynn as well, because they went with Flynn and Proust in the game. Yep. Um, yeah, when you look at Himmelberg, he's probably done his best work in a three-tools forward line, Yeah. whether it be with a, a Cameron or a and a Patton or a Cameron and a, a Finlayson. Uh, Finlayson. Yeah. Um, that's kind of just where he's, he's kicked the most goals and also when the Giants have been successful. So if they're sticking with that blueprint, uh, the, the two rucks could be kind of a, a roundabout way to try and replace that um, while they're still trying to figure out uh, who their who their best yeah. forward line is. So let's let's talk about the two rucks as well because the other really interesting storyline that happened through the game, of course, we touched on was was Jack Hayes going down with an injury quite early. That put the Saints down to one ruckman. Rowan Marshall had to carry most of the load, and then he himself went down and um, spent most of the second half on the exercise bike, and I think barely even made it on the ground for most of the last quarter, um, which of course led to the Giants dominating the hitout. So Proust finished with 47 hitouts, Flynn with 30. Um, and that between them, they had 31 in the last quarter to the Saints who managed a single hitout in the last quarter. And that was Mason Wood who managed to snag one. So 31 hitouts to one in a quarter of footy when the game's on the line. The Giants did win the clearances, but not by much. And I think center clearances were actually still still even as well. So... I guess what I'm trying to say, Zach, is do we even need Ruckman? It's such a tricky one because it's it's kind of like these situations where just when you kind of reach the point where you go, you're looking at it, you're going, these Ruckman, like what the hell would you even do if you didn't have one? You know, they're holding up our team. There's so many Ruck captains uh, kind of over the last couple of years. Um, and then you just have a game like this where both your Ruckman go off and, and clearances are neck and neck, as you're saying. Maybe part of it is too much reliance on Tom Green for GWS's clearances. Um, so if St Kilda would put some time into him and Jack Steele maybe gets on top, um, then that can, can kind of even things out regardless. But yeah, it really has to be something you plan for. And I'm, I'm not sure the Giants at the moment are necessarily a clearance-based side as much as they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, if you have Jack Steele in there, then then there's a, a fair chance you're going to be winning a lot of clearances anyway. Uh, so, yes, I like I think Ruckman are necessary. Anytime teams try to forego them for a, a long period of time, it undoes them. Uh, most notably, Richmond in the 2018 uh, prelim where yep. Brady Grundy just had a day out yep. on uh, Premiership Ruckman, Sean Gregg. <laughs> um, and yeah, proved proved that I think uh, if you just forgo Ruckmans, it's too easy for the team that you're versing to eventually plan for and capitalise in, in some way or another. Especially these days when you can take it out of the ruck, I think, and really bully that, that small to mid-sized player who ends up competing with you. Um, I think the the other thing as well is is in a situation like this when it happens during the game, you know the Giants probably haven't really had a plan that they've come in with, thinking that they are going to dominate hitouts this significantly. Um, and then alternatively, you know the flip side of that, it the mentality for St Kilda can then become all right. We're just going to focus really hard on locking down these clearances, and we know our Ruckman's not going to win, so we'll just play off the GWS mids and 
and that then you know it, it, it's almost freeing in a way because you can focus on defending and and you know trying to scrape out a clearance here and there instead of of trying to have to you know when you run off your player to maybe try and get a hit out you leave someone free that becomes an easy hit out for the other team if, if they happen to win the tap and go back the other way instead yeah definitely and uh the, the the kinds of players who who you want to be feeding those clearances out to, if you're GWS, one of them is is well and truly lucky Whitfield. What's happened to him? He's just he's not quite producing the same uh, lofty standards that he he has been in the past. Yeah, so it was, it was one thing I kind of just a thought that came to me as the the Giants looked like they were struggling a bit to move the ball. Is is where was Whitfield during the game? He finished with twenty disposals. Uh, but nine of those came in the last quarter, so kind of worked himself into the game quite late. Um, we're just having a bit of a, a flick through and looking at, at some of his stats. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to get the, the thing up that I sent you before. Cool. Um, <clears throat> Have some water while you've paused. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Um, So, you know, on the back of that, I kind of went through and had a bit of a look at some of his stats, comparing that that 2019 year when the Giants made the grand final. And and I think Whitfield looked like one of the best players in the competition during that year, just super dangerous, super damaging um, to his stats this year. So his average disposals are down. He's, He's averaging about five disposals less. A game um, than he was, so to 22.3 now, 27 in, in 2019. Um, rebound 50s, sitting about the same, inside 50s, sitting about the same. But despite the fact that his disposals are down, his, his clangers are also up. So he's turning the ball over almost five times a game now, as opposed to, to 2.6 uh, back then. It's interesting as well, because these are the players, you know, you think about someone like Ed Langdon, even for the, for Melbourne, um, we're we're talking about Jack Sinclair before for St Kilda. There's plenty of other all, others all across the competition that since the stand rules come in, it's become a bit more kick mark, run from behind. These are the kinds of players like Lockie Whitfield who you'd be going get them in the side. Yeah, it could be that his role has changed slightly. Um, so they did look at times to maybe get him a bit further up the ground, playing more of a, a wing role than that halfback distributor role that perhaps he's played a bit more of in the past. Um, there were a few times where he was, you know, even getting a bit more involved in stoppages and that kind of thing. And, you know, when you're getting a scrappy kick forward from a stoppage versus a, a little, you know, distributing kick off halfback, then that's going to impact things like your disposal efficiency. Um, but I think, again, I think it's kind of similar to the, the Toby Green conversation we were having, where it's, it's if, it, if everything's going well for you around the ball, then you can put Whitfield behind the ball and use him as that distributor. Um, and those those really damaging foot skills and running carry skills that he has, which I think genuinely when he's going well makes him one of the most dangerous players in the, in the competition. Yeah, and, and contrasted just by how, how well Kelly played as well, uh, another one of their good outside runners, uh, if they can get them both firing, then that's a dangerous prospect uh, with with Tommy Green feeding it out. So I guess in, in the context of the season, then, you know, the Giants, we've identified a few things they need to work on there, perhaps to try and get their season rolling. They're sitting one and five uh, now, down in 15th. 
The Saints, by contrast, sitting five and one up in fifth. Um, so two teams who have very much moved in opposite directions. I guess maybe looking forward, the Giants, they have had a really tough draw to start with. What has to be the goal for them, I think, for the rest of the season moving forward, do you reckon? Uh, I think it's just kind of working out probably their best 22 in structure at this point. Like since they were a final staple, I think it's um they've really never had quite a settled side. And then within kind of their, their team to playing week to week, as we've discussed, there's lots of positional changes as well. Uh, so Leon Cameron really needs to knuckle down on what his GWS blueprint is because he, he had one before and I think it, there's not quite a clear picture now. So that's probably step one. And if you can achieve that, then you have to be looking at getting back towards competing to playing finals. I I can't see them turning it around at this point. Um, but yeah, if they can at least knuckle down on that game plan, then maybe they can start building towards something for next year because they by and large have enough talented players on their list to be com- competing in September. The Saints, uh, on the other hand, speaking of competing against, uh, sorry, speaking of competing in September, currently sit fifth. There's four teams on five and one. Uh, so the others, of course, Fremantle, Brisbane and Sydney, Melbourne sitting by themselves at six and zero, oh, but from what you've seen of the Saints so far, do we do we think they're up there with you know the the Brisbane's and the Sydney's? Fremantle, of course, looking very impressive, but maybe a bit more of a, a question mark over their you know genuine contender status still at the moment. Um, do do we see the Saints matching it with those teams as the season goes on? Yeah, I mean it's a long season, and and to make such a, a jump up the ladder is tricky, especially when you're suffering injuries at the same time. So I I. Although I won't be surprised if there's a bit of a dip at some point, um, if they can continue playing a solid brand of football um, as they have been, then I I reckon St Kilda should be okay. Uh, Just looking at the teams that are below them, you would expect maybe Geelong to jump up. Carlton, we're still kind of in that that same kind of question mark period, wondering wondering where they'll be. Um, Yeah, I, I wouldn't really put anyone other Geelong as a, as someone who I'd tip to finish above them. So I reckon they're really looking now at, at just a home final has to be the goal from here on and um, really minimising the impact of any injuries. Paddy Ryder coming back into the side will help cover Hayes, of course, and um, I'm not sure whether anything has come out about how... Uh, who's their other Ruckman? I've gone blank. Marshall. Marshall. How Marshall pulled up. Yeah, so, yeah so, so Hayes obviously looking like his season's going to be over, unfortunately, which is it's such a shame because it was a good story and a you know, mature age recruit. Um, and on that as well, uh, being all over the media, but brilliant to see St Kilda making his um, contract a number one priority just so he can focus on his recover- recovery too. Uh, yeah, just uh, more of that, please, from, from football clubs <laughs> around Australia. Um, yeah, Marshall, I'm, I'm not so sure but possibly going to be a week-to-week proposition as to, to how he looks. But if you can get Paddy Ryder back into that team, then, then they definitely strengthen. And, yeah, I, I think probably hard to see them sliding out of the eight now, looking at the teams that are that are below them. Maybe if the Bulldogs can get their act together, then we know what a, a good team they can be and, and rise up to the ladder. But the Saints, of course, you know, not in, entirely out of nowhere, had a decent season in 2020 um, and then just weren't able to back it up back in 2021. Um, so 
hopefully Brett Brett Radden's fixed a lot of those issues that, that derailed that season for them and um, yeah, back towards finals contention again for the Saints this year. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw one at you just quickly. Um, put you put you under the bus. Jack Higgins currently on fourteen goals. Max King on seventeen. Who has more by season's end? Do you reckon? For the <laughs> um, I think. Jeez, I'd love to see Jack Higgins win the Coleman. That would be an amazing speech on Brownlow night. Um, or is it is it Brownlow night or is it All Australian night they present the Coleman? I think it might be All Australian night. But I think so. Jack Higgins, even just see him standing on stage in an All Australian blazer, uh, would be nice. But no, I think Max King fixes his his kicking issues and probably takes that one out quite comfortably. Um, Brilliant. Well, uh, that's that's probably this week's match wrapped up and uh, packaged up for, for the subs. But uh, looking to next week, uh, I believe we've picked a game. Yes. Uh, if, you, if you are looking to, to play along at home, then um, we're trying to give notice for, for what we're going to be covering next week so you can make sure that you catch the game and um, call us out on everything that we get wrong. Yes. Um, so we'll hopefully be able to, to be back to normal business and recording this, this game together and in person and, and hopefully even have the podcast out a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, than, than how we've done this week. But next week is going to be the Western Bulldogs versus Essendon, a uh, match being played at Marvel Stadium on Sunday afternoon. And two teams, I think we're, we're quite excited about this game because two teams who there was a lot of hype and a lot of optimism about, and you know us in particular, um, optimistic about the Bombers, but we can talk about that a bit more last week, um, a bit more next week, sorry. But yeah, two teams who performing well below expectations. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to talk about maybe what's going wrong in both of those camps. Yeah, it could be an interesting one playing for a close match, just looking where both teams are at the ladder. And uh, yeah, maybe a, a bit more of a, a structural launch into the game. We'll try and sit somewhere up high uh, if we do end up making it into the stadium. If you Otherwise, if you see us at the, at the Bombers-Bulldogs game as well, do do come off and say good day. Um, we'll be lurking around somewhere writing down notes if you see two two sketchy looking blokes with notepads and trying to take you know video footage of the game without anyone noticing them then, then that's probably us so come and say good day brilliant um, all right well just just a quick reminder to wrap it up hopefully if you're watching this on youtube just to let you know that this this podcast is, is going to be up on places like like spotify and hopefully apple sometime soon as well so if you want to listen to it as a podcast and other places, that's definitely our goal to be able to, to give you that option. Uh, and otherwise, if you do want to, to support us to keep making this kind of content, uh, step one, or sorry, the, the first priority, I guess, for us is, is like, comment, share, and subscribe and all that sort of stuff is it's really much, uh, appreciated. And if you're in a position to and you can, then, then supporting us on Patreon is also great and allows us just to kind of devote a bit more time in our weekly schedules to being able to do this kind of stuff. All right. Is that anything else to add, Zach? No, that's that's all good. Uh, just a, a little see you next time. Cool. Thanks.